Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Today we are wrapping up the series that we've been looking at for the past number of weeks on the book of Nehemiah. This idea of looking forward, moving forward as we move from transition to what God has next. In the study so far, we have seen how Nehemiah was a remnant of the people of Israel who worked in the service of the king uh, of Persia. We saw how Nehemiah mourned as he became aware that, that the rebuilding that was supposed to be happening in Jerusalem was not going well. Uh, there was opposition and it wasn't happening and there was a, a sense of sadness and deep mourning. But we also saw how he didn't stay in that place of mourning. We saw how he, he took instead that, that mourning and that sadness and he brought it to God and he gave it to him. He poured his heart out to God in prayer. And then as he did that, over time God began to give Nehemiah a vision of, of what could be. With that, we looked at the importance of, of understanding and, and naming and, and even mourning the things that we've lost. And in any time of transition, we, we lose things. And there is a sadness, and we can't just gloss that over. We can't just pretend that it that doesn't impact us emotionally. We need to mourn it. We need to name it. We need to acknowledge it and then do what Nehemiah did and bring it, bring it to God. And as we do that and as we're honest with God, God begins to help us to, to begin to put those things in the past behind us and not focus on those things that have been lost. And God also helps us to be able to turn forward and to look ahead to what's next. We watched how Nehemiah was courageous in, in coming up with a, this plan for rebuilding. And it took courage. It took personal risk on his part to begin to, to put this plan into motion. His very life was on the line as he moved forward in this, but he was courageous and he, he stepped out in faith, embracing that risk in bringing that, that plan to the king and asking for, for help. We read about how as the rebuilding started, we saw how everyone was needed, that, that everyone played a part, everyone played a role. There were no spectators, there were no bystanders. And we focus on this idea that, that while not any, everyone can do, uh, that we can't do everything, no one can do everything, but, but anyone and everyone can do something. And then we saw how opposition came. As soon as they began to put the plan into motion and the rebuilding began to happen, they experienced opposition, both from outside but also from within. And so we looked at this idea that as we begin to move forward, that we can expect opposition, and we looked, about, looked at how we can work at overcoming that opposition, to expect it, to not be surprised by it, but how we can also overcome it, how God helps us and gives us that ability. Then we looked at how even in the midst of the great work, this great work for God, it was even more important than the work to focus on people, 
And we saw how in the midst of the work, there was this need that came up and how people were being neglected and, and injustice were, was happening. People were being oppressed. And so we looked at how they stopped the work to deal with that issue. And we were reminded that, that people are more important than projects. We were reminded that God's heart is about people. And that no big work that we think we're doing for God is more important than people. We need to be about the things that God is about. Being about justice and caring for, for those who are in need and those who are oppressed. So today we finish the story. The beginning of the end of the story is found in chapter, 16, or chapter 6, verses 15 to 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there briefly, and then we're going to move over to, to chapter 8. But the, really, the beginning of the end of the story starts here, in chapter 6. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. That, that statement, the wall was finished, let's, let's not underestimate that. Let's not skip over that too quickly. Because this really was a miracle. We don't think of this necessarily as, as a miracle in the same way of, you know, how they, they marched around the walls of Jerusalem and they all kind of fell down and, or some of the other great miracles that God did. But for, for them to be able to accomplish this incredible task in 52 days was a miracle. I mean, these walls that they were rebuilding, they were wide and they were strong and they were high. And for just everyone to gather together and be able to do that in only 52 days was a genuine testimony of how God was with them. God was giving them superhuman ability to do this. It was a miracle. Because the goal, as we found out from the enemies, the surrounding enemies, was really a goal that was easy to laugh at and easy to make fun of. And they took a lot of mockery for it. But then in the end, it says that when they saw these enemies, that the work was accomplished. And it was accomplished in such a short period of time, it was obvious to them that their God was with them. And it silences that opposition. It silences the mockery. And it's a powerful testimony. And so this would seem to be the natural point where Nehemiah would, would end his story. Say, this is the end of the story. This is Nehemiah signing off. But in fact, it's not the end. In fact, the story doesn't end in chapter 7, or in chapter 8, which we're looking at today, or in chapter 9, or 10, or 11, or 12, but in chapter 13. Why is this? I think part of the reason is because, and this is the main takeaway, I think, for today, is that being restored on the outside is good but being restored on the inside, being restored within, is more important. And so, so far, we've been looking at the story in terms of, of how God helped them to do that external kind of, of repair, that external kind of rebuilding and restoration. But from chapter 8, and really I think it's the main theme for the rest of the number of chapters that go on, we see that that was really only the beginning of the restoration. And it really wasn't necessarily even about that external, but they begin to do the internal restoration. Building the walls was hard, but now the really hard and the really important work 
of them being restored spiritually, being restored in their relationship to God individually, but also as a people, that began. And that's the important work. Restoring the wall was a good start, but it's not the end of the story. They needed internal reconstruction. And we see here in chapter 8 that process beginning. We see it starting with the first three verses. And and I'm going to read the whole section that we've got listed here, but we're going to do it in chunks today. So if you have your Bibles there, let's look at chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. In October, when the Israelites had settled into their homes, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on the eighth, or on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men, women, and all the children who were old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. I think the first step in us moving towards inner restoration, spiritual restoration, is first to recognize our need, to realize that there's a need there. Because I think when the people first showed up there in that assembly, I'm not sure what they expected. Maybe they expected this was going to be a celebration of of the end of the, the work. They were going to rejoice together that the work was done. But as we see Ezra and the other priests and the Levites ministering to the people, reading God's word to them, which they hadn't heard. Some of them may not have ever heard it because they were children when they were taken into captivity. We see the people beginning to understand their need. Understand that they didn't know God's word. They were hearing some things for the first time as God was giving them instructions about what it was to be people that followed God. And we see them realizing their need. I think for us, that could be something that's easy to overlook. I mean, it seems obvious that we need God, but yet at the same time, we live in a world where it seems like the dominant message for us is that, that we shouldn't need anything or anyone. That there's something wrong with us if we're not completely independent, if we're not strong enough to, to, to tough through ourselves, if we're dependent on anyone or anything. In fact, we should all be fine by ourselves and not depend on anything. That's the message that the world gives us, and we we know maybe up here that that's not true, but but we live in that, we're immersed in it. It can be easy to fall into the habit of, of living that way, where we feel like we need to be strong, where we feel like we need to have it all together and be able to, to do it all ourselves. And so the reminder here to us is that, that we do need to realize our need. We do need to come to this place of realizing that, that God is the source of our life. God is the source of all life. He's the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We exist in Him. He doesn't need us. We need Him. And sometimes we can, even when we realize that need, fall into the trap of thinking that, 
that some external things will, will change that. You know, if I just change this part of my life, or if this part of my life were different, or if I could just do these, these steps, that something will be different. And those external things might help, but ultimately what we need is for God to, to come and us to invite God into that place of need and invite His Holy Spirit to come and to begin to change us and transform us from the inside out. Because it's easy for us to think if you know all of my problems that I have right now are because I don't have enough money, or if I just if I have the right relationships, or if I have the right things, or if I had a, a, a better body, or I was, was in better health. And maybe, maybe the Israelites were thinking, you know what, things would be better for us if we just had a wall. Well, now they're in this place where the wall is there, but they're still realizing their need. If you and I move into this next season of life, hoping just to rebuild what's been lost or change the externals of things, we just look forward to, to getting back to the way things used to be. We just look forward to, to having our, our permanent pastor in place and then everything will be all right. And those are good things. But the heart of the matter is we need to be restored inside. Those things are external things. God is more concerned about the internal things. He's concerned about our hearts. As we continue to read in Nehemiah, we, we read in verse 5 and 6 this. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. And then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So Ezra opens the book, and as they hear the words, they, they know who's speaking. They realize that these are not Ezra's words. He didn't write them. They're hearing the word of God. They're hearing the word of the, the creator of the universe. And they stand and they, they raise their hands. They raise their hands in honor and in glory, bowing down, bringing their faces to the ground, praising their God. So as we understand our need, we realize that we are in a place where we are in need, it helps us then to, to enter into this next phase where we enter into an awareness of God's presence. When we know we're in need, and we invite God to come into that place of need, we experience the presence of God. And they were, some of them, maybe grasping the presence of God for the first time. Definitely they were experiencing the presence of God in a new way than they'd ever experienced before. As they come into that place, as they hear God's word, notice that they're, they don't come asking anything. They're not praying, asking God for anything at all. They're just coming simply to, to be in God's presence and to praise Him, to give Him glory, to give Him worship. This is their gift to Him, not asking the other way. There's definitely a time and a place where, where we can approach God, we can ask God and petition God for things, but there's a time where we just need to be in God's presence and to praise Him. That our time with God is about Him not about what we can get back and what we need. God wants to bless us. 
But I think ultimately, the greatest blessing that God can give us is His presence. The blessing of Himself. And so if we want to be restored internally, as we want to be restored in our spirits, we need to enter into the presence of God and recognize that God's presence is always with us. It's an understanding that comes that God is there. God is present. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing. And we can walk and live and move in God's presence in whatever we're doing. We don't have to come to a certain place. We don't have to do any special practices because God's presence is there. If you've ever had the moment where you've just become overwhelmed standing in front of an ocean, just overwhelmed at the the vastness of it. Or if you've been to the mountains for the first time and just are are in awe of the greatness of those mountains. I think that's maybe a little bit of a hint of what it would be like to, to stand in God's presence and really fully be in awe of God's presence. They're reminders to us that God is near, that God is with us. And we need those reminders. Let's keep reading chapter 8, verses 7 and 8. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, I should have got one of you to read this. Uh, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peliah. I find if you read them fast enough, it sounds confident and people think you know what you're doing. Just a hint if you're ever scripture reading up here. Anyway, all these Levites, they instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their place. They read from the book of the law of God and clearly explained the meaning of what was being read, helping the people to understand each passage. Here's what we're seeing there. As they not only heard God's word, heard it with their ears, they were also beginning to understand in their hearts what it meant, understand how to apply it. Because God's word, God's truth is not, it's not academic. It, it's not enough to know that God exists. It's not enough just to know truth. We then have to take that truth and apply it to our lives. And that happens as we allow God to speak that truth into our lives. As God's Holy Spirit communes with the Holy Spirit living in us, our spirits, then we can take God's word and apply it and understand it. And sometimes we need help to do that. Sometimes we need people that that are a little further down the road, that have spent more time in God's Word. But a lot of times we can do it ourselves as well. And we do it as a community. As as God is is sharing something with you from His Word, you can share that with someone else. And we hear from each other. But God's Word needs to be internalized. It's not just enough to read it. It's not just enough to hear it. But we need to come from a a place of of soft hearts and and soft eyes to see what it is that God is saying and what God wants us to do with that. And so it's not just a head understanding. It's a heart understanding that we need. God's word isn't something that, that we just engage with mentally, intellectually. It is that, but it's not only that. 
It's also something that we need to engage with our hearts, engage with our emotions, engage with our spirits. And that leads us to the next section in verses 9 to 12. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, <clears throat> excuse me, and scribe, and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, don't mourn or weep on such a day as this, for today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For all the people, or for the people that had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks, and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This day is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And the Levites, too, quieted the people, telling them, Hush, don't weep, for this is a sacred day. So the people went away to eat and drink at a festive meal, to share gifts of food, to celebrate with great joy, because they had heard God's word and understood them. This might seem like it's a strange way to, to respond. They're hearing God's word and, they, and they, they burst into mourning. They burst into tears. But I think for them it was a proper response. Because some of them were understanding for the first time really what God was saying to them. Some of them were understanding for the first time who God really was and how they had neglected that as a people and, and in some ways how they'd been forced to neglect that as a people because they'd been captured, they'd been removed from their identity as, as the people of God. And so their, their temptation was to, was to mourn, to cry for what they had lost, to cry for what they had, had missed. But Nehemiah and the, the other leaders there, their encouragement and their challenge was to, to don't stay in that place of mourning as we saw earlier. But to celebrate. This is a time of celebration. Focus on what we have, not what we've lost. You've got God's word again. We're at a place where we can be together and hear God's word again. So go and rejoice. Go celebrate. Go have a feast. It's a time of celebration not a time of mourning. And that's really the last point. This, I think part of, of spiritual restoration is, is this idea of, of rest and celebration. It is a healthy spiritual practice for us as followers of Jesus to rest and celebrate. That doesn't always fit very neatly in with, our, with our work ethic. But we need to rest. God modeled rest for us. God modeled Sabbath for us. And it's good to celebrate. It's good to have a feast. It's good to have a meal together. Restoration is worth celebrating. Verses 13 to 18 says this. On October 9th, the family leaders of all the people, together with the priests and Levites, met with Ezra, the scribe, to go over the law in greater detail. As they studied the law, they discovered that the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites should live in shelters during the, the festival to be held that month. He had said a proclamation should be made throughout their towns and in Jerusalem, telling the people to go to the hills to get branches from olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees. They were to use these branches to make their shelters in which they would live during the festival, as prescribed by the law. So the people went out, and they cut branches and used them to build shelters on their roofs, of their houses, in their courtyards, and in the courtyards of God's temple, or in the squares just outside the water gate. 
and the Ephraim gate. So everyone who had returned from captivity lived in these shelters during that festival, and they were all filled with great joy. The Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, son of Nun. Ezra read from the book of the law of God on each of the seven days of the festival. Then on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly as was required by law. Restoration was worth celebrating. And really, this is what Jesus reveals to us as well. That celebrations are good. When the, he tells the story of the prodigal son, and we know the story, how the prodigal son goes off and he, he squanders all his inheritance. And when he finally comes to his senses and comes back, the father isn't angry. The father isn't uh, disciplining him. The father sends his servants out to, to arrange this great big party. And everyone is celebrating the, the son's return, except for the older son, who doesn't get what the party's about. It's a celebration of grace. And when we experience restoration, there is reason to celebrate. There is reason to have a party. And so the lesson is that we need to celebrate. We need to acknowledge when God does something, when God is doing something, some work of restoration in us. What does all this mean for, for you and I? As individuals, as a church family, what does it mean for us to be restored within? Especially during this season of transition. For some of you, it might, you might realize it's time to come home. Time to come home to God. In this difficult season, you might have felt alone, isolated from people, but also from God. Maybe God has felt distant. God's invitation is to come home. Jesus shows us the, the face of God's grace. Shows us the face of, of that Father who just longs for us to, to come home, to return, to come close. And God invites us to come home. For some of us, it might mean needing to start living again from a place of faith rather than a place of fear. We've been living in this, this place of, of fear and uncertainty for such a long time for, for lots of different reasons that we've already talked about. And it's easy to, to just plant ourselves in that place of fear. God invites us to come closer to him, to say no to the living in fear, and to come close to him and live in faith. As a church family, it, it may mean relearning how to live together, how to worship together, how to work together. Because we haven't been able to do it in the ways that we, we used to do, or the ways that we want to do. There might be some relearning of what that, what that means for us. Because all those things have been disrupted. And I believe that God wants us, invites us to rediscover what it means to be the people of God. To rediscover what it means to be a people united in purpose. United in our, our lives. And united in our worship. Being restored within likely means a whole range of other things that I haven't mentioned here. But I think for all of us, my, my encouragement 
My challenge to all of us is this, to decide what it is that rebuilding our lives looks like. What are you going to do to rebuild this life? What are we going to do to rebuild our life? With Jesus at the center, to be reminded that, that it is all about Jesus. And decide to, to live that restored life. Let's realize together that the church isn't about what we can do for God. Church really is about what God has already done for us. And us reminding ourselves of that, reminding each other of that, and being a witness of that to the world. It's a reminder of what God has already done for us and what God is continuing to do out in the world. As he's inviting people, as he's pursuing people, inviting them to relationship with him. He's inviting us and inviting people around us who don't know him or aren't walking in a renewed relationship with him. That's God's mission. That's, that's the work that God is already about, has never stopped being about, and what he continues to do. And it's also the, the co-mission that we're to be involved with. You know, just like a plane has, has, usually has a pilot and a co-pilot, the job is the same. The mission of, of restoring relationship to people is God's mission. And he invites us to commission, or the great commission, if you want to say it that way. That's what he invites us to. So as we think about moving forward, as we think about what is next, let's center ourselves on Jesus and be reminded that this, this work is about him. And the external things, they're good. We, we can do external things. We can, we can do things like programs. We can do things like, like building renovations and all those things, and they're good. But ultimately what's important, what's most important, is that we are restored spiritually. We're restored internally, restored within. Ultimately, it's about Jesus and the mission that Jesus is on for us and for the world around us. Let's pray. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for how your word moves us. For how it's your word and not the word of human beings. God, as we study your word, as we, we think about your word, as we meditate on your word, use it to change us. Use it to impact us. Help us to realize that the most important work we can do for ourselves and for us as a church family is work that is about the internal. Help us to come to you, realize our need, to open ourselves to you and your presence, and allow your word to speak to us and to change us. And God, help us to do it together as a united people, people united in purpose, united in life and in worship together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.